Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Good Judgment Judgment Podcast. Podcast. Folks, this is a podcast that's purpose is for Georgia judges or anybody else who might be interested in what goes on in the courtroom. Please understand that we are Georgia-focused, meaning that we are going to focus our attention on issues that arise under Georgia law, but occasionally we will get into some subjects of common interest. And we really appreciate you folks listening. And as we go to the studio audience, we ask, please hold your applause till the end. All right, now to the studio. Hey, folks, this is Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast and our episode with our friend, Gary Mueller. Hey, Gary. Hey, how are you guys? Friend Good. of the podcast. FOPC. <laughs> In our uh, Evidence Essentials series, we are going to talk about a little bit broader topic this time. Garen, why don't you tell the people what the topic is today? It's impeachment, but very generally impeachment. I don't know if we have enough time to address every facet of impeachment today. I don't know if we have any desire. That is an incredibly timely topic. What do you mean? Well, I mean, you know, we're dealing with impeachment every day in the courtroom. I mean, that's that's that everybody everybody needs a little impeachment, right? Oh, I get it. (laughs) All right. Fend of the podcast. All right. So impeachment its calling into question the witness's credibility. It's generally under Section 607. I just want to note that the old vouching rule has been abolished, so a party can actually call a witness for the purpose of impeachment now. Yeah, you used to not be able to do that. If you called a witness, you had to live with whatever they said, and if it was kind of a witness that you thought was on the fence, it didn't matter. If you called them, you had to live with it. You couldn't even really question them very hard on a prior inconsistent statement or anything. Right. Well, there's a bunch of ways to impeach also. There's contradiction, 621, prior consistent statement, 613. Bias, 622. Bad character, 608. Convictions, 609. Lack of knowledge, 602. And also incapacity. Yeah. And uh, section 24-608, so the 608B subsection, um, says generally we can't get into specific instances of conduct to impeach. However, during cross-examination, not during direct examination, the court may allow specific instances of conduct if probative of truthfulness and if the instance is either, number one, concerning the witness's character for truthfulness or untruthfulness, or it's concerning the character for truthfulness or untruthfulness of another witness as to which the character the witness being cross-examined has testified. So if that testifying witness has spoken to another witness's character or if it's come up during that testimony, then it may be allowed by the court, by the trial judge. You know, Garen, we talked about going through all the different ways you can impeach somebody because impeachment is a pretty broad topic. And then as you were preparing, you talked about this case, Anderson, that just had come out not too long ago. Why don't you tell the folks about Anderson and why it's such a good case for the topic of impeachment? Right. So Anderson doesn't even have a, uh, a real site yet. I've got a Westlaw site for you. 2019 Westlaw 530-2077. In that case, the defendant's girlfriend testified that at her interview, she was threatened by the detective. So under 621 contradiction, the court allowed the video of her uh, pretrial interview to be played to show that the investigator had actually not threatened her. So normally that wouldn't be allowed because, you know, we talked about this, Tay, just because you call an elephant a giraffe doesn't make it a giraffe, even if you say it a bunch of times. That's right. So you can't just say, yeah, the light was green, and I've told 15 other people the light was green too. Right. That's improper bolstering. Right. So so instead, you normally wouldn't be able to get in that prior statement. 
except that she said that she was forced to give it. And so they found that there was another way to get that in that something otherwise would not be admissible. Absolutely. Can can I interrupt for a second? I just got a text from Westlaw, and they said that is a real site, and it's actually the only site you'll ever need. Okay. (laughs) I just wanted to put that in there. Okay. Another good thing about contradiction is you have to be careful because the defendant may open the door to otherwise inadmissible evidence through their own testimony. So if a defendant, for example, testified, you know, I've never been in trouble before, but they have a ton of convictions for family violence batteries in their past, those may actually come in even though they're otherwise inadmissible. Yeah, it, the only thing you have to be caref- careful about there is don't let people artificially open the door, and I'm using air quotes again. Don't let people open the door by, by asking somebody sort of a, a, a an irrelevant or, or unnecessary question to some third-party witness and say, now the door's been opened. Right. If, right. if they've jammed a crowbar in right next to the lock, pushed real hard and popped it open, that's probably not something you ought to let in. But if but if they but if you can contradict something as long as it's somewhat relevant to what we're talking about here today, you can use evidence to contradict that, right? Right. And a good case uh, for example is Parker v. State, three thirty nine Georgia Appellate two eighty five is a twenty sixteen case. I think that gives uh, a good example of when a defendant may open the door. So we've talked about contradiction as a manner of impeachment. Now let's talk about a prior inconsistent statement. I hear about this all the time. Right. Well, you know, once again, in the Anderson case, um, there was extrinsic evidence allowed after confronting the witness with her prior statement. So once again, uh, to under 613, you don't have to show that witness the prior statement. But if you want to get that statement in as extrinsic evidence, meaning show it to a jury, then you're going to have to confront the witness with it, give them an opportunity to explain it and give opposing counsel an opportunity to cross-examine them on it. Does that apply to admissions by a party opponent? It does not. You remember, I don't know if you remember, we've, we've talked about, because we, we spend so much time talking about um, archaic British cases from the from bygone eras, Garen. Right, but, absolutely. <laughs> but the, the ruling... I do not go to lunch with you guys for a reason. <laughs> the rule in Queen Caroline's case, I, I don't know what, what everybody else calls it. That's what Professor Billich called it. You remember where you used to have to do that under the evidence rules? Right, absolutely. Why don't yeah. you tell the people what that is and then what you... How it's different now. Every time he says Queen Caroline, you're supposed to go... Da, 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 da. Hey, you know, Stephen's uh, sister-in-law's Caroline. Are you serious? Yeah, that's pretty. But awesome. it, she's not a queen. Okay, to rein oh. it back in, generally, <laughs> you would have you would uh, be able to confront the witness without showing them the statement, and you could just say, "Well, isn't it true that you said uh, blah 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 on this certain date?" Uh, and then you'd have to just take their answer for what it was. Now you can approach them with it, show them the show them the statement, and then actually get that statement in as long as you've confronted them with it. What's that the case of again, Garen? Queen Caroline. Queen Caroline, ba, ba, ba. All right, so hey. once upon a time, you had to confront them and let them explain their statement. But now, it, only if you want to get in extrinsic evidence do you have to do that. Otherwise, you can go straight at them and say, well, isn't it true you previously said the opposite? The light was green or the light was red. But, but back in the day, you had to say, remember, you gave a deposition right. and, and yeah. all of this. Now you can you only have to do that if you're going to get in extrinsic evidence, either a hard copy of it or a third party maybe that heard the, heard the statement before. Right. Not to confuse the two, but um, Garen, talk to us about a prior consistent statement. 
obviously bolstering is not allowed, but now if someone has been impeached with a prior and consistent statement, then you're allowed to bring in a prior consistent statement to rehab that witness. So then, as Wade had earlier brought out, you know, I told 15 people that had, I had a green light. Well, that actually could come in at this point. Uh, you know, other statements they had given which support their initial assertion. And then it's ultimately up to the fact finder, jury, or whatever to determine which one of those various statements they're going to believe. Right. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's, let's talk a little bit about bias under uh, 622. Well, you know, bias is never going to be collateral, and you can use extrinsic evidence. Religious beliefs may actually be brought in for bias, but it's not okay to use religious beliefs to attack credibility. It is okay to use them when relevant to bias, meaning if they attend church together or something like that. So now you're going to be able to get in bias on almost any occasion, right? Correct. Let's talk about bad character, because I've always got this confused with prior convictions. Bad Tane, let me ask you this. In your career, Mm -hmm. how many times have you actually had somebody testify to the reputation of another party for truthfulness or untruthfulness? I think on two occasions in 12 years, that's actually been, it's actually come in and been done the right way or done the way that the law allows you to do it. I can't tell you that I've had anybody do it. I've had people try to ask other witnesses, do you believe this other third witness, like like a prosecutor would say to a mom, do you believe your daughter's claims? Now, that's not allowed. Everybody, right. we all know that, right? Right. right. Because that would, it doesn't really matter what happens. You can't let one, one witness comment on another person's veracity, but they can comment on their reputation or and, opinion for truthfulness. Right. And I had it done in one case and done actually rather effectively because the quality of the witnesses who were brought in and the length of time that they had known the witness to say, I know what his reputation is for truthfulness, and I, you know, I find uh, his reputation is that he is incredibly truthful. Um, actually, I think it ended up being one of the things that got him acquitted in that case. Yeah, I mean, I can see how it's incredibly relevant. You just can't mm-hmm. say, are they telling the truth about this? You exactly. can say, generally, are they truthful? And it's right. ultimately up to the jury to determine whether or not they are credible. There's there's but, a really there's a really big issue, I think, when this evidence is is sought to be used, though, and that is, uh, like we like we say sometimes, you can't let the sideshow take over the circus. You can't let that credibility argument take over the rest of what you're trying to prove. So bad character. So we're going to try to impeach a witness by bad with bad character. Generally, tell me what we're talking about. You can really only use uh, specific instances on direct examination uh, as a prior conviction or conduct indicating bias. Usually it's going to be on cross-examination when you can get into these specific instances uh, about the defendant or about the witness's own conduct. But remember, subsection B1 of 608 expressly gives a trial court discretion on whether to allow the use of these specific instances of conduct to attack or rehabilitate the credibility of a witness. All right, so what are we talking about here? Are we talking about where somebody did something sketchy but not necessarily illegal? Right, and we I think we talked about a few examples. Of, of, some of them don't really come to mind. I know one of them, uh, I know Millich had used somebody wearing a shirt that just says Satan worshiper, and that's never going to come in. That's not really, doesn't really indicate bias. It's bad character, but it really doesn't talk to credibility of truthfulness or not. But if somebody has been a liar or somebody has um, given false statements in the past, I think that comes in. If, really somebody no, dr- if somebody's violent when they drink. Right, absolutely. That could come in in a 
uh, battery case or something like, like that. Like if it happened at a bar or something. Absolutely. All right, so now let's compare that to prior convictions because you could you could impeach with bad bad conduct, but you also possibly could impeach with a conviction. That's right. And then back to the Anderson case, a really good analysis on 609 there also. So just if you really want a good rundown, read that Anderson case. It does help a lot. But, uh, but just remember, it's the 10-year rule, right? I mean, that's right. the real big thing. Now, tell everybody the special thing about ten year, about the 10-year rule. Well, so it's it's a 10-year rule, but it's a, a conviction with a felony or a crime of dishonesty, and less than 10 years have passed, not just from the date of conviction, but all, or whichever is later, date of conviction or date of release from confinement. Now, Tane, you know that, that you, can, you cannot use a no-low plea or a first offender or, I guess, a, a conditional discharge plea. I do. But you can use an offered plea. That's right. An offered plea for all purposes of law is is treated as a guilty plea, and, and when, it can be used. When I take a plea under North Carolina versus, at all, versus offered, I usually tell the defendant, you understand this is going to be treated as a guilty plea. And just to note, you can use a conviction over 10 years, but you have to provide notice, and the court has to specifically find that using the balancing test that it's more probative than prejudicial. And there's already a presumption a presumption against allowing it. And this is where my favorite rule comes in. You're always to do a 403 balancing test whenever that type of evidence is sought to be used. Right. And then, of course, you can always impeach with the lack of proving that the person didn't know what they claimed to have known. And so they call that a lack of knowledge under 602. But now, Garen, should we worry about charging the jury on impeachment? I mean, is that something we need to be... If we do it, it's wrong, or if we don't do it, it's wrong. No, I'd always recommend charging on impeachment. In fact, giving an unauthorized charge on impeachment is generally harmless error. So put it in your standard, I'm going to give this charge. So, Tane, wrapping up this this podcast on impeachment, you know that there's a lot of detail that we are not going to try to put in a podcast. Um, it just, we'd be, as Garen said, we'd be here forever. Right. But all forms of impeachment have to go through your favorite rule. 403. Do that balancing test. And, Garen, any witness can be impeached, either on? Direct or cross. And generally, extrinsic evidence is only allowed to attack the credibility of witness who has already testified. You can't do that peremptorily. Is that the right way? Good word. Thank you. So you cannot do that before it happens. You have to actually let them be impeached. And then you rehabilitate. It doesn't matter what they argued in opening, what they've said they're going to prove. It, it just You have to let it happen. Then you can rehabilitate, correct? And it, yes. And even then, Wade, the judge must determine whether the extrinsic evidence passes the 403 balancing test of probative versus prejudice. Tell, right. the, tell the folks our favorite phrase about uh, not letting... Don't ever let the sideshow take over the circus. In other words, don't let these issues go down such a long and winding path that the jury no longer understands what we're trying in this case. Garen, to impeach somebody with a prior inconsistent, you don't have to do Queen Caroline's rule, but if you plan on getting in extrinsic evidence about it, tell everybody what you have to do. You must first confront the witness with a prior statement and provide an opportunity for the witness to explain and opposing counsel to cross. Don't forget that, judges, you are to rebuke someone who goes down one of these paths with impeachment with something they know good and well is not going to come in. The judge can order a mistrial under 17.875. This week at NJO, we literally had a conversation about this obligation to rebuke. And, you know, I think all the cases said, as long as you correct it, whether you gave someone a tongue lashing is really not all that important. 
but you can survive a mistake by not rebuking enough by simply at least correcting the error, right, Tane? That's exactly right. Garen, thanks for being here with us. Um, we really appreciate the evidence essentials. Our judges are raving about them, so we're glad that you're back. Sorry for your loss last time that kept you from being here. I really appreciate it. I appreciate being here. I hope you guys don't release this next to Judge Sizemore's uh, podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're always a friend of the podcast. FOPC, this is Wade Pudge. And I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening. Thank you, folks, for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This podcast was originally the brainchild of Mr. Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Special thanks to the University of Georgia College of Law and specifically Jim Henneberger uh, for their technical assistance and providing the studio for us. Thanks, as always, to Stephen Turner and Turner Up Media, who does his best to get as much of our stupidity as he can. But he can't get it all. We are eternally grateful to CSCJ, the Council of Superior Court Judges, for allowing us to handle NJO and their support in this project. Folks, these are our own opinions. They represent the opinions of Wade Padgett and Tane Kell and do not reflect the opinions of the Council of Superior Court Judges, UGA College of Law, ICJE, or really anybody else for that matter. You can contact us at our website at goodjudgepod.com or you can contact us on email at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Folks, please rate and review our podcast on whatever listening app you may be using. It'll go a long way to help others find the podcast. So, Tane, I guess we better bang the gavel on this one. Anything else you feel like we need to say? No, that's all, Wade. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Mint Podcast.